Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, relationships through a psychological lens. And this week, we will be covering Nita Jankowitz and the Disinformation Governance Bureau, why we should judge human books by their covers, and the female denial of responsibility for the problems that women are facing from transgender ideology. Let's get right to Nita Jankowitz. Some of you are familiar with her. If you are not familiar with her, um, well, no, you will be because you've seen her on the show before. Doing Mary Poppins caricatures about misinformation. She's written a book called How to Be a Woman Online and How to Lose the Information Game. And she's obviously thinks she's a, a Broadway star. Uh, incredibly charming, and everyone would just love her. Well, they didn't just love her, and they didn't just love the Disinformation Governance Bureau. So who's on the beat to talk about the public's reaction to Nina Jankowitz? Our favorite, Taylor Lorenz, formerly of the New York Times and now of the Washington Post. Here's a tweet from Taylor. She says, Scoop! Just three weeks after its announcement, the Disinformation Governance Board, I guess it's board, not bureau, is being paused and interdepartmental DHS, I guess that's Department of Homeland Security, working groups focused on disinformation have been suspended. Nina Jankowitz is considering leaving. Read my full story. This is interesting because, of course, Taylor Lorenz has made a career, literally made a career, out of being a mean girl on the internet for major brands such as the New York Times and the Washington Post. Look how she characterizes Jankowitz. And tell me if this sounds to you more like straight traditional reporting or like a publicist piece written for a client. Quote, and this is in the Washington Post, this is Taylor Lorenz's writing. The author of the book's how to be a woman online, and how to lose the information war. Her career also featured stints at multiple nonpartisan think tanks and nonprofits included and included work that focused on strengthening democratic institutions. Within the small community of disinformation researchers, her work was well regarded. Mm, Was it? Within that small circle. Strengthening democratic institutions, is that what she was doing, Taylor? Was she strengthening them? Or does she say that she was strengthening them? See, if you were an actual reporter, you wouldn't be making evaluations like that. You wouldn't be making judgment calls like that. You clearly want Nina Jankowitz to be your friend. You're on her side. This is a, this is a piece about your girlfriend. That's very, very clear. Her work was strengthening democratic institutions. I know it's old hat at this point, but when in when did journalists become mere stenographers? We've we've always made jokes about them being stenographers, but they are right now really only stenographers. Let's take a look at Nina Jankowitz. We'll put this up on the screen. This is the selfie that she chose to show you to present herself to the world. Take a nice look. She's holding her book, How to Lose the Information War, with that Disney villainess look on her face. 
More from Taylor Lorenz. Quote, but within, hour, but within hours of news of her appointment, Jankowitz was thrust into the spotlight by the very forces she dedicated her career to combating. Jankowitz was on the receiving end of the harshest attacks with her role mischaracterized as she became a primary target of the right-wing internet. She has been subject to an unrelenting barrage of harassment and abuse while unchecked misrepresentations of her work continue to go viral. (laughs) Jankowitz was thrust into the spotlight. She thrust herself into the spotlight. See, do you, you see the victimhood, right? The reversal into victimhood. She was thrust into the spotlight. No, she thrust herself. And you know that she did, just like you do, Taylor. Taylor, we all know you're writing about you. We know you're writing about you. The harshest attacks this woman has endured. Target of the right-wing internet. Because nobody who has any problem with her or the role that the government has created for her, they can't be anything but the most extreme and absurd right-wingers. Unchecked misinterpretations. Notice that? Unchecked. Nobody's checking them. And she doesn't mean checking like checking to see if they're true. She means stopping them. People are being allowed to say these things about Nina Jankowitz without someone stopping them. That's what upsets Taylor. Another quote. Jankowitz's experience is a prime example of how the right-wing internet apparatus operates, where far-right influencers attempt to identify a target, present a narrative, and then repeat mischaracterizations across social media and websites with the aim of discrediting and attacking anyone who seeks to challenge them. It also shows what happens when institutions, when confronted with these attacks, don't respond effectively. Right. Again, Taylor Lorenz is writing about herself. This is what Taylor Lorenz does to people she doesn't like. She is a professional hit woman for the press. This is the woman. Well, here, let's, let's, um, let's see her talking just about a month to two months ago about how she's been the target of all these terrible things. I had severe PTSD. It's horrifying. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this video has some silences. The Washington Post... Uh, Taylor Lorenz docked libs of TikTok, and they're showing some of the uh, stories about this, where they put this person's real name, work history, and work location online. And Taylor Lorenz actually physically went to the home of the family members of this person, and here's a shot of her standing outside the front door of a family member of the libs of TikTok person. And here she is crying on camera about her being harassed. They'll threaten my parents. I've had to remove every single social tie. I had severe PTSD from this. I I contemplated suicide. It got really bad. You feel like any little piece of information that gets out on you will be used by the worst people on the internet to destroy your life. And it's so isolating. And terrifying. (laughs) It's horrifying. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's It's really hard. She's faking it. (laughs) You can see it. It's right on camera. She's just faking it. The reporter. This is this reporter's egging her on. And it's horrifying. (laughs) It's just horrifying. (laughs) 
<laughs> and, and I'm sorry, but I've got to talk. I've got to talk about. Well, did you see that? Um, did you see what was on the screen? One in three women under 35 are harassed on the internet. What the hell does that have to do with the picture on the screen? Because that was Taylor Lorenz. <laughs> One in three women under 35 are harassed online. What does that even mean? And again, it doesn't apply to Taylor. It might apply to her blonde-haired friend there, whose name was obviously Bronwyn, if she hasn't changed it yet, to Tristan. The, the chutzpah that this woman has is, is, is just unbelievable. Taylor Lorenz and Nina Jankowitz are just budget characters from the movie Heathers. That's all they are. More from Taylor. The campaigns invariably start with identifying a person to characterize as a villain. Attacking faceless institutions is difficult, so a figurehead, almost always a woman or a person of color, by the way, the libs of TikTok account runner is a woman and a person of color, back to Taylor, is found to serve as its face. Whether that person has actual power within the institution is often immaterial. By discrediting those made to represent institutions they seek to bring down, they discredit the institution itself. Yes, just like you discredit every institution that hires you. The last one here. Harassment and reputational harm is the core to the attack strategy. Institutions often treat reputational harm and online attacks as a personnel matter, one that unlucky employees should simply endure quietly. You hypocritical bitch. Unbelievable. And there's a reason I showed you that picture of Nina Jankowitz earlier in the segment. It's because I want to talk about judging books by their covers, judging human books by their covers, not actual books, humans. Have you ever pondered just how plain bad some of the wisdom is that we share with each other? The proverbial advice that everyone knows is true. Have you noticed how popular advice is these days that tells you not to notice things? And if you do notice them, not to signal that you notice them? and certainly never to make a judgment about them. It all goes in one direction. Don't notice, don't speak, and don't judge. Another one is if you can't say something nice, don't say it at all. People trot this out all the time as if all the situations that we're talking about are equivalent to sitting at a church supper next to other people. They're not. All of life is not a church supper or a wedding banquet. And the worst one, as far as I'm concerned, is never judge a book by its cover. Think, think about that. And I mean, really think it through step by step. You have to consciously detach yourself because this, it's so ingrained that you just believe it. I need you to treat it as if this was the first time that you ever heard that phrase. Try that. Think it through in steps. Does it really apply to human beings? So... Here's how I think about it. Number one, a book cover, an actual book, that's chosen by an artist and a publishing company to market the book. It can't 
because it's just a picture, it's an image, it's a type treatment, it's abstract. The cover of the book can't accurately fully represent the content, content or the tone of the book inside. Some do better than others, but, you know, it's, it can't really do that. And it's, it's just trivially true that a book might be a smashing read but have a bad cover. This is trivially true. It doesn't matter, right? If you judge a book by its cover and decide you're not going to read it, oh, how too bad for the book and how too bad for the 25-cent author royalties that you're not giving. But that's not what's going on when we're evaluating people, especially consequential people, people with real institutional and cultural power. What about people? People are not inert paper or words, obviously. People have minds, they have intentions, they have goals. And people consciously choose the way that they groom themselves, the way they arrange their faces to a certain degree. Uh, I'm one of those people who uh, has to be much more conscious about the way he arranges his face in real life because my emotions... um, are always betrayed by my facial expressions. Um, but people choose these, and they choose the selfies, they, shoot, they choose the portraits that they want to present to you as representative of them. Do you really believe that these choices you're seeing don't indicate anything to you? That they tell you absolutely nothing about the intentions of the person who's choosing them? Why did they choose them then? You're not one of those people who believes that I dress for me, do you? Because nobody dresses for me. We all dress for other people. That's why if we're on a desert island, we either walk around naked or we fashion ourselves a bra out of coconuts. And do you really think that you're being bad if you notice these choices and you make some tentative judgments based on them? Do you really think that? Or do you think that you're supposed to think it? That's a different That's a different thing. I think you need to judge more books by their covers. Here's another example. I want to show you one of the publicity portraits from the founders of Black Lives Matter, BLM. Alicia Garza, Patrice Cullors, and Opal Tometi. Take a look at, I know you can't see it, some of you listening, it's these three women, and they all have that expression on their face, a variation of that expression. Challenging, smug, sullen, smirking, especially the one in the middle, smirking. Do you really think these expressions aren't telling you anything about the psychology of these women? not just a snapshot, is it? It's a portrait. They chose it. That's how they market themselves. You see this a lot, I'm sorry to say, with black celebrities these days. And I know the choices aren't all made by the models. They're made by publicists. They're made by photographers. But it seems to be the the, the, the done thing these days that the only way to present an interesting black person is to present him or her this way. I'm making a smug and challenging, haughty, aloof look on my face. It it really bothers me. And we're going to round out this segment with something related. And this this was so good 
This is from a Twitter mutual named Ava Petrucci. And she said it so well, I asked her if I could just rip her thread off because I can't put it into better words myself. So follow along. Ava says, if you've never dealt with a sociopath in real life before, just keep watching the politics of the left right now. Their emotions are explosive and disproportionate. They calibrate their emotional outbursts to control others. They engage in mass psychological manipulation. I'm going to cut in here. I would add to this that I don't believe it's only sociopaths who are doing this. I don't think I'm disagreeing with Ava here. I think it's it's cluster B personality disorders writ large. Sociopathy is one of the four allegedly for discrete cluster B disorders. I think there's a lot of overlap between them, but this is not restricted to pure psychopaths or sociopaths. It's borderlines, narcissists, and histrionics too. Next tweet. They maintain this control because reasonable people are not willing to emotionally escalate situations to the same level that they will. Reasonable people just adapt and make do. Quote, It's not worth the drama, and this accommodation isn't such a big deal in the grand scheme of things. And the reasonable people are right. Taken as a single occurrence, it isn't worth escalating to the level required to prevent conceding a small courtesy or desire for security. In fact, that's part of the tactic. Quote, why fight so hard for something so small, bigot? Note note what Ava said taken as a single occurrence. Lots of this is not a single occurrence. That's why I talk about observing patterns over time. You may see a person's tweet and think this is a single occurrence. Jane over there might have been watching this person's social media for the past year and a half, and Jane knows that it is not a single occurrence and that John is not just having a bad day. This makes a difference. Are you... Are you telling yourself that other people are being too judgmental about someone who just misspoke? How do you know that? Do you? Have you ever asked yourself if you know that? Have you considered that maybe this person has watched a pattern that you are unaware of? Maybe you should be a little less judgmental of the judgmental people. Back to Ava. But these are not discrete requests for small accommodations of safety and consideration. These are small tactical steps in a much larger pattern to control others. Like grains of sand, each small concession begins to add up into a huge mountain. And each grain sets precedent and adds momentum to an established cultural trend of domination. The goal is to redefine the entire relationship one small concession at a time, as well as to completely reset the narrative of society that we all agree to. Thank you, Ava. (laughs) I'm not just pulling this so that I can say, look, there's someone who agrees with me. I'm just so refreshed when someone else sees this and understands it because it's not that I came up with some grand, new, and insightful way to look at these people. I haven't. What I woke up to with Cluster B six years ago, thousands of people have woken up to decades before I even heard of it. Nothing I'm telling you is original. But it's so 
socially verboten to say it that, it, I, you know, I feel like someone's thrown me a life preserver when they get it. A few more from Ava. In my personal life, I've tangled with a number of disordered people. You can't reason with them and you can't beat them at that game unless you also become disordered. My tactic has always been quiet disengagement. But when the ascendant political ideology becomes one of disorder, disengagement becomes less of an option. If such people have real power over you, can you really run? I do know one thing. They cannot be allowed to set the narrative anymore. They have abused their right to request concessions. Dialogue with them is no longer in the truth-seeking realm. They will exploit good faith and the universal motivation all reasonable people have toward reciprocity. Dialogue with them is now in the realm of war. Correct. Correct. And I'll tell you a very quick story before we shut this out about how I had to learn this. Uh, about 18 years ago, I was part of a lawsuit on behalf of an organization that I worked for that was suing a very large company for uh, harming consumers. Um, I, I was representing the named plaintiffs in this suit, and I was deposed in a Manhattan skyscraper for two days by a phalanx of very expensive corporate lawyers for the defendant in this situation. And I wanted to demonstrate truthfulness um, and, and good faith in my answers. And during one of the breaks on the first day, my lawyers pulled me into the conference room and said, stop going in there and leading with your chin. Stop offering them information. These people are not your friends. They are trying to get you. And you're not actually winning any respect from them by going out of your way to demonstrate that you're being truthful. And they were right. And... I ended up giving great testimony for the rest of that time, and they didn't get me on a single thing. But that was an important lesson. Stop leading with your chin. You are not storing up treasure in heaven by being a dupe for these people. Learn to recognize what they're doing and who they are. We're going to go to a break, but I want to ask you, will you share us on social media? Say something about us. Link us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, wherever it is that you do social media. And if you don't want to do that, share us privately with just one friend. Thanks, and we'll see you on the other side. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell, too, so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio, too. We have audio-only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom hangouts. They're off-camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com slash disaffected or visit subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Welcome back. 
I want to talk about an example of something that has become a theme on this show. And that theme is the feminization of our relational styles with other people. What I see is the imposition of very female typical modes of relating to our colleagues at work, relating to celebrities, relating to our family members. It's not, you know, I, I didn't, again, I didn't come up with this. A lot of people, a lot of men who I didn't listen to and who I made fun of and who I called misogynists and hateful have noticed this for a lot longer than I have. This is, and, and this is just an example. I don't actually care. Personally, I'm not emotionally invested in what we're about to talk about here. I just find it to be a good illustration. <laughs> I just made it funny because we're going to talk about Sports Illustrated. Yeah, I know. That's the top shelf humor that you're used to coming to Disaffected for. Sorry, I'll try to do better. I'll do the work. So take a look at the cover of the Sports Illustrated 2022 Swimsuit Edition. We've got a, what I'll kindly call a plus-sized model. I guess her name is Numi Yu, or no, I guess it's Yumi Nu. Okay, that's her name, whatever. Cover model is a heavy woman, an obese woman. I wouldn't call her morbidly obese, but she's, she's fat. And stuff your anger back down right now, viewer, because I'm a chub chub too. I'm 30 pounds overweight. So I'm not saying that other people are stupid fatties and I'm perfect, okay? I think you can handle it. She's a big girl, isn't she? And she's in a very unflattering swimsuit. It's just, it's simply unflattering. It does nothing for her body. It does not show it to her best uh, her body to its best advantage. That's just a fact. It's very bad styling. It's almost like a humiliation photograph, except I think it's something a little different. Sports Illustrated has been doing this a lot lately. They've put the they've put trans women's men who call themselves women on the cover. They appear to believe that they can condition heterosexual men to be sexually attracted to men and fat women. I don't think this is going to work out for them very well. Um, my guess is that they are, and again, I don't care about this. Um, you may think that the entire industry of Sports Illustrated is sexist. That's fine. You can think that. I don't care one way or another. But they, they knew they were going to get reaction with this, just like they knew they were going to get reaction from the trans woman cover. And uh, Jordan Peterson, psychologist, public figure now, Jordan Peterson had this to say in a tweet. Sorry, not beautiful. And no amount of authoritarian tolerance is going to change that. What do you think happened? That's right. Immediate hysterical shrieking from women. Getting ready to pelt me with your rotten tomatoes because I said hysterical and shrieking in the same sentence with women. Well, that's what they're doing. I think she's beautiful. Lots of men actually like that. Why do you have to come down on her? She's beautiful just because she doesn't fit normal Hollywood beauty standards. Beautiful. And my favorite... 
you're presenting. Uh, okay, it, 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 let me back up a little bit. You can hold those opinions. You can find her beautiful. I'm not even going to tell you whether I find anything about her attractive or unattractive because it doesn't matter. I don't care. And I don't really care what your opinion is either. But there's a difference here. If you are reacting to it this way, you care very much what my opinion is and you care very much about what Jordan Peterson's opinion is. Why? Why? Why are you upset? Why are you making sure to say very loudly with multiple exclamation points, I think she's beautiful? Okay. But you, why do you feel the need to say that? I asked that question. And I got a bunch of excuses. I got the usual, it's mean, or that's patriarchal, or blah, 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 blah. But my favorite was this disingenuous response. He's presenting it as if it were a fact, but it's just his opinion. Cut the crap. That's not what made you angry. You wouldn't have been happy if he'd said, in my personal opinion, you would have had exactly the same reaction. You're not angry. You don't think that people might be misled. Well, if he doesn't say as his opinion, then some people might think he is stating a fact, but he is not stating a fact. Stop it. That's nonsense. Stop it. You're angry that he doesn't find her beautiful. You're angry that if he doesn't find her beautiful, that at least he, you think at least he shouldn't say it. What you'd really like is for him to have a very different opinion, but you will settle for him either not expressing his opinion or you will settle for him expressing the opposite of his opinion to join your clap fest. But what you are not upset about is that he didn't say it was his opinion. <laughs> you want it, you don't like his opinion. You want him to have a different one. And for the women who reacted this way, I don't think they even realize how obviously they're projecting because this is all about their personal, them insecurities, not about women's insecurities, their personal woman insecurity about their own body. That is the only reason to be this emotionally invested in a man not finding a fat woman on the cover of Sports Illustrated beautiful. There is no other reason. I don't believe that you're just that altruistically hooked into what Yumi Nu needs you to do for her. It's about people like this are used to being hug boxed and they're used to being what women call supported among each other. You're so beautiful, girl. You're just perfect the way you are. You don't need to change. You're just beautiful. Everything about you inside and outside is beautiful. That's what you're used to. Well, that's what you're used to seeing in public because, of course, behind closed doors, women aren't that nice about each other, and we all know that. <laughs> it's like gay men, and I know my people. I know what they say in public, and I know what they say in private. Same with women. Some of you are calling her a fat heifer when no one's looking. Mm-hmm. And... The other thing that bothers me about this is this woman is 24 years old. This model is 24.
four years old. She's a fully grown adult woman. She's not a little girl. She was not coerced into doing this. Don't start. Don't start. Well, it's coercive. Women are subject to coercive influence. Nope. She inked a contract. She chose to get paid for this. She chose to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and she knew exactly what reaction she was going to get, whether she wanted to have it or not. She's not a victim. She's not being abused. People are saying mean, nasty things. Yep, they are. They always do. She's not being abused. She's not being held hostage. She is a fully grown-up woman who wants very badly to be seen as hot. That's, that's what she is. She's not a victim. People don't have to find her or anyone like her beautiful, and you are not entitled to have them say it, and you are not entitled to have them shut up if they don't say something nice. Related, but different. Let's talk about externalization of blame. External, externalizing responsibility for problems in one's own life or unhappinesses in one's own psyche. We see a, that is a, a foundational trait of people with cluster B disorders and cluster B personality traits. Nothing is ever their fault. It's always somebody else. And of course, you know that my hypothesis is that the majority of people who are calling themselves trans today, not all of them, but the majority, have heavy cluster B personality traits, and many of them are fully diagnosable as pathological borderlines, narcissists, and sociopaths, or some combination thereof. Here's a great example of externalization of blame. And for some of you, it'll be a little bit surprising, I know, uh, but I'll, I'll give my usual disclaimer. This is not one out of a million posts. It may seem strange to you, but it's actually, um, it's actually pretty common in these spheres. So this is from Reddit's M2F subreddit. Reddit, the, um, I don't even know what you would call Reddit anymore. I mean, I guess it's something like an old school bulletin board, but it's super woke and super censored, so... If you don't have anything nice to say about trans people, don't say anything at all. <laughs> Here we go. I'll read it to you. Well, I'm officially a prostitute now. God, I feel like shit. I sucked off this guy for $80 so I could pay for my laser hair removal, HRT, hormone replacement therapy, etc. Thank you very much, my entire direct family for refusing to put a single cent into my transition. Really couldn't have done it without you all, especially on my mom's side since everyone in that entire half of my family already disowned me. I feel so fucking disgusting, but I am going to transition no matter what, no matter how much my family fights me on it, and no matter how dirty of jobs I need to take to do so. Ugh. Sorry, I read it as, it as it was written. So he's a gutter whore now, but it's his family's fault. And he's going to gutter whore so hard, so hard, just to show his stupid family. Dumbasses. They made him do this. He didn't have to suck off $80 dick if it weren't for his bitch mom. <laughs> 
they like totally made him suck dick because they like totally wouldn't help him. Unbelievable. <laughs> but Cluster B does this all the time. You made me do this. Look what you made me do. This is look what you made me do. <laughs> you made me do this. But they never recognize all the times that you were guilted into giving them money or you were guilted into defending them when they shouldn't have been defended or when you did drop your job or your own projects to come and help them at the very last minute or to complete a job for them that they simply couldn't be bothered to do. But you're just failing them all the time because anytime something doesn't go right for them, it's your fault. You made them do it or you didn't do it for them. It's, it's, um, <laughs> reminds me of, uh, one, one of the last conversations I had with my mother before we parted ways. She was, um, as you know, or if you're new to the show, my mother has both borderline and narcissistic personality disorders. It's a twofer. Yes, it is the value pack because there are secondary psychopathic traits. Um, but as with many people with these personality disorders, really severe um, cycles of depression and anxiety have always affected my mother. And, and right near the end, I was so, I, I, really, I was very, very worried. I was wor well, she was suicidal. <laughs> I was worried she was suicidal. She was suicidal. And I, I tried to gently ask her if I could make a doctor's appointment for her because of how worried everyone was about her depression because it was so severe. She's crying and hitching. And as soon as I said that, her affect immediately changed. Immediately went from hitching, crying to anger, livid anger. And she said, I'm only depressed because of you. <laughs> okay. Don't put up with this, you guys. You got someone like this in your family? Cut them out. I know, I know. For some of you, there's children. You, you can't quite cut your children out. I get it. I understand. For the rest of you who have circumstances that make this more difficult, supply your own, not, not all, supply your own caveats, okay? But really, most of the time, cut these people out. Cut them out of your work life if you can. Um, cut them out. And yes, you can cut them out of your family. Yes, you can. People say, but I can't. It's family. No, actually, it, you can. They're not signing your paycheck. Just because they're your family doesn't mean that you have to put up with their abuse. It's not actually harder in a practical sense to cut them out. It's emotionally harder, yes. But if you've got a boss like this, you've got to figure out how you're going to replace your money before you cut them out because you're going to be the one who leaves. It's not the case with your family. And I'm going to round this out with another example of the myths that we organize our lives by in terms of the sexes. And I'm going to use another famous example. I'm going to return to the case of Johnny Depp suing Amber Heard, two actors. Not be, again, not because I care, not because there's anything particularly interesting to me about their particular celebrity, but because they are an example that most people are seeing right now that illustrates things that normal, everyday, non-Hollywood people are going through all the time. And I have to speak in generalizations 
but I, I and I'm going to generalize about the the sentiments of women. But I want to acknowledge first that there are so many women who are not like the women that I'm going to talk about. And I know more and more of them. I'm meeting more and more of them online. Um, I'm seeing more of them in circles that I didn't have anything to do with before when I was a person on the left. And they are just as upset about this and they recognize what's going on. Um, and they, too, are chastised or told to shut up or called uh, you know, if I might be called a misogynist for saying these things, when women say these things, they're accused of having internalized misogyny. They hate women so much that they hate themselves and therefore they hate other women or something like that. So there are, there are many women out there. I don't know how many. I don't have a good sense of proportion right now um, who recognize that women have the capacity to be as abusive as men can be. Um, and there are many of them who recognize that Amber Heard does appear to be the main abuser in this relationship. That doesn't make Johnny Depp an innocent or an angel. But we, we can, we are allowed. We're allowed to say that one person seems to be the aggressor. That's normal. Okay? And these women can see that. But I'm not sure that the majority of women who are vocal enough that I would notice them see this. There are many who don't. Um, and I went and took a look at Mumsnet, the UK parenting forum, it's most, it's almost entirely women, uh, although it advertises itself as a, as a parenting forum. And they have a feminism, gender and sexuality um, subcategory. And that's one of the places I go to get a temperature for feminist opinion on, on what's going on. It's not perfect, but, you know, it's got some indicators. And the threads that I saw about the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp case all pretty much followed the theme that, although this was not spoken explicitly, the sentiment seemed to be it was not possible for any woman to be the primary abuser, that that was so obvious that it was offensive that people might actually side with Johnny Depp, that it was just ludicrous to think that Amber Heard could possibly be the aggressor or that Johnny Depp could possibly not be the most abusive, dangerous man putting Amber Heard's life in danger. Now, both of these people are psychologically screwed up. That's obvious, both Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. She is severely personality disordered. She's wicked. He, he to me, appears to be at least a drug addict and codependent, maybe more. He's broken furniture. He's thrown his own tantrums. What I don't see evidence of is him assaulting Amber. I don't see evidence of that. And I don't see evidence of him playing the same kind of mind games that she has been playing with him. And I don't see evidence of him shitting in her side of the bed. Shitting. Ladies of mom's net. I noticed you didn't mention that either. What did you mention? Here's a couple of threads. The title of this thread, The Assassination of Amber Heard. I hesitate to get involved in this topic. I've not followed the trial, and I find the televising and subsequent media circus repugnant. Unfortunately, it can and will have effects on how women are seen and treated, especially in domestic violence cases, so I, pose, I suppose in some ways we have no choice but to pay attention. She starts right off with the histrionics. The assassination of Amber Heard. Assassination. I don't have anything more to say about that because it's retarded. 
She admits that she hasn't kept up with the trial, but she knows all these things anyway. And her main concern? That it can and will have effects on how women are seen and treated. Interesting, isn't it? Main concern is not that it might raise awareness that men can be psychologically coercively abused in relationships. No. She is upset that this might affect how women are seen and treated in domestic violence cases. Why? I think I know what you're really upset about. You're really upset that this is doing a little bit to take away the universal veil that women seem to have in these cases where they get to be seen as the victim regardless of their level of aggression, regardless of what they do. Why does it upset you that that may no longer be the case? Why is it upsetting to you that women who are the aggressors or abusers might be seen and described as such? Would that not be more fair? But you see, this all comes down to the idea that there can be nothing other than the dichotomy man-abuser, woman-endangered victim. <sighs> I was almost going to give a justification for myself that I don't need to do, and I'm not going to do that. Here's another one. What's most disturbed me is that I've heard my thoughtful, kind, sensitive son come out with MRA talking points, meaning men's rights activist. She's lying and she's just as bad as him. He's heard this from people at school. I suppose it's a learning opportunity to prompt lots of questions about media, trust, critical thinking, and we had a good chat led by his dad about coercive and controlling relationships and the disparity between sexes and domestic violence. Still, it's all hugely depressing. Your poor son. Your poor son. I will, someday he's going to know what you think of him. He's going to know. guess your son can't analyze things. He can't make judgments about wh whether somebody is lying. He's just picking up MRA talking points. And we know that if we call it MRA, men's rights activists, that that's emotionally contaminated. It means dirty, stupid, and violent. So we can just dismiss it. It couldn't possibly be that your son actually believes she's lying because the evidence on camera shows her lying. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> I've heard my thoughtful, kind, sensitive son. So he can't be thoughtful, kind, and sensitive if he actually discerns the truth in a situation that shows that the woman is at fault. That's what she's saying. Oh no, we're not trying to feminize our sons. Oh, how silly. What a ridiculous conspiracy theory, Josh. Few more. I'm going over this segment a little bit. Another Another person responds in that thread, agreed, Depp lost his defamation case and is not disputing a long list of documented and demonstrably abusive behaviors toward Amber Heard. She may not be perfect, but, when, but since when was being a nice person a prerequisite for being a victim of abuse? Oh, she's just not a nice person, that's all. I've been very disappointed by how some colleagues who are supposed to work with abuse victims and who've been singing the praises of Depp's expert witnesses. What is even the purpose of this latest trial? 
the even purpose of this latest trial is to win compensation for Johnny Depp's claims of libel and defamation because she called him in a domestic abuser and he believes that that cost him professional opportunities. That is even the purpose of this trial. Okay? New Character Unlocked says, I find the love for Depp shown by many quite astounding. I saw some videos on TikTok showing him pulling a chair out for a woman, helping another with a phone charger, just normal stuff. And from this, hundreds of comments saying this proves he's a good man. He's so amazing, followed by various negative comments about Heard. I don't get it. They both seem to have been abusive to each other, but so many are determined to blame everything on Heard and see Depp come out of this as some sort of hero angel gentleman. All words I've heard his fans call him recently. There's an actual, there's a point to this. I've seen the same behavior and I've seen people say exactly what this woman is citing. That, you know, oh, well, he's such a philanthropist. Look how much money he gave to this. Look how nice he was to these people. That has, this woman is right. That says zip zero shit about how he treats people privately. Hollywood stars do this all the time. Madonna founds orphanages and schools in Malawi. I'm not, you know, Angelina Jolie does this stuff. Joan Crawford did this stuff back in the day, for God's sake. You do good works like adopting children or founding orphanages or, or, or schools for disenfranchised kids. And I'm not saying that none of them had any good intentions behind that, but this is publicity generation. It's, it's for your image. So this woman is actually right. This doesn't prove, just because he gave a lot of philanthropic money, it doesn't prove that he's necessarily a nice person. But it works for Amber, too. It really does. Um, you know what? I'm not going to give you the rest of these because they're just um, variations on the same thing. I mean, I think we've talked about that enough. So we're going to go into the break. But I do want to remind you that we have audio-only content that you will not get here on YouTube. You won't get a notification on your YouTube. You won't get it on Rumble or Odyssey. So subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, please. iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, we're all there. And we will see you in a moment. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom hangouts. They're off-camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com disaffected or visit subscribestar.com disaffected. Welcome back. There's a scene in the recent dramatic series, Feud, Betty and Joan. This was a eight part miniseries. I think it ran in 2017 on FX that focused on the, the final 15 to 20 years of Joan Crawford's life, but particularly through the conflict between her and actress Betty Davis. They were famously enemies and they worked on one film together. And that's the nugget of this series. And the series, it's, it's very good television. I've talked about it before. And 
it has a lot of reflection on the ways in which women and men in Hollywood mistreated each other, but particularly how brutal it was for women who got to a certain age and were misused by the studio system. But what it also included was some contemplation of the ways that women play this game with each other. It's not just men. So there's a scene near the beginning of the series when gossip columnist Hedda Hopper goes to Joan Crawford's house in the morning, the morning after the Oscars ceremony at which Marilyn Monroe got an Oscar and Joan Crawford, a drunken Joan Crawford, uh, criticized her for wearing what she called a vulgar dress with her tits flopping out everywhere. Hedda Hopper, the gossip columnist, wants a quote from Joan Crawford about Marilyn Monroe. So she shows up at her house the next morning when Crawford is hungover. What a bitch. <laughs> Joan comes down and doesn't really want to do this. She doesn't want to be involved in this fight. And Hedda Hopper says, people want to hear what yesterday's it girl has to say about today's it girl. And Joan says, so there can only be one it girl? I'm paraphrasing here, but it's pretty close to the dialogue. And Crawford says, well, no. Hopper then says to her, I don't make the rules. Men put them on a pedestal. And Joan Crawford replies, and it's the women who keep chipping away at the foundation. Today, what we see in organizations that I guess today cluster under headings like left, human services, NGOs, non-government organizations, these have always been traditionally feminine spheres, largely women. Women have been the bulk of volunteers, the bulk of charity workers, um, both uh, privately in churches and uh, in professional capacities in the welfare state. This has always been a feminine sphere. And woke is roiling this sphere. This is from the Sydney Morning Herald. Five volunteer counselors at Australia's largest breastfeeding support group have left their roles after colleagues complained about social media posts that allegedly included, quote, near obsessive use of the word mother. So I, I, I'm going to have to explain this <laughs> because it doesn't make sense in the real world. So so these these volunteers left the organization because they were complained about. And the complaint against them was that the volunteers who left had a near obsessive relationship with using the word mother. Remember that this is the Australian Breastfeeding Association. That might make a difference. Next quote. Seven long-term volunteers were investigated by the Australian Breastfeeding Association after allegedly repeatedly commenting on social media posts using terms such as mother or breastfeeding, even if the original poster had used parent or other gender-neutral language. So again, to put this into plain real-world uh, real English, these seven volunteers were investigated by the Australian, um, <laughs> say Australian Breast Association, Breastfeeding Association, because they commented on social media posts and used the word mother or breastfeeding 
even when the original poster used gender-neutral terms like parent. <sighs> of course they are investigated. Why'd you do that? Why would Ron DeSantis do this to chest feeders? <laughs> so fucking stupid. I'll read you a few more. Five of the women left the organization between November and February after the months-long complaint process. There's no, um, there's nothing. I'm just reading to you folks. There's, there's nothing for you to see here. Um, nothing for you to see here. Move along. Two of them were removed from their roles by the association. The association said the complaints were made by other counselors who considered the comments on social media posts by the organization and other counselors as intimidation and bullying. According to documents seen by The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald, the complainants said they were caused harm and believed the, quote, near-obsessive use of the word mother suggests that others are not welcome in the ABA, end quote. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Stop lying. Notice the reversal. Cluster B and reversal, they go together. It's chocolate and peanut butter. You know what's going on here. Gender-obsessed women were making sure that they themselves never used the word mother, they conspicuously substituted other words like birthing parent or chest feeder obsessively because that's weird. Those aren't real words. That's cult speak. That's from the cult lexicon. It's not what humans use in language. And they would do this even to the point of losing grammatical coherence. But they called the women who used normal words like mother and breastfeeding, they called them bullies. They said they had an obsessive relationship with these weird words. Reversal. Black is white. Good is bad. Abuser is victim. Victim is abuser. So as soon as another woman uses the word mother, this becomes an attack on whom? Who, who is the people who are now not welcome in the ABA? because this woman used the word mother. Well, thankfully, some of the members of the ABA actually objected to how the organization canned their volunteers. By the way, those are the volunteers who are no longer welcome, the ones that you ran out, chest feed person. You did this, not the other way around. You made them unwelcome, that's you. The investigations prompted 37 association members, including two former board members, to write to the association's board stating that the complaints were, quote, frivolous and unjustified, end quote. The members called for an external investigation and an apology to those being investigated. Quote, this treatment of the seven volunteers falls below the reasonable standard of care that any workplace should provide, their letters said. We'll go back to um, the Sydney Morning Herald. The accusation is that the use of the word mother represented a subtle correction when others used the word parent. Those using the word parent interpreted this as an attack on their use of the word parent. 
Well, they're right about something. When those normal women use the word mother, for some of them, it is a subtle correction to you. They are correcting you. And they're right to do it. They can do this. You may use the word parent. You may do that obsessively if you like. Other people are going to note it. It is a correction. You are able to be corrected. That's not an attack. It didn't break any rules. It didn't disadvantage you. It didn't oppression you. It didn't violence you and it didn't misogyny you. Okay? You're capable of being wrong and just a dipshit. Huh. Of course, the, the genderite cult members are hard at work to make it associationally illegal to use these words. Quote, the association has been considering the continued relevance of traditional mother-to-mother -mother communications this year as it develops its new language policy. A source with knowledge of the draft policy said it retains more sexed language about mothers and breastfeeding than has been kept by other large international breastfeeding support groups. Well, thank God for small favors. They're allowing at least some sexed language. Next one. Words such as mother and breast milk are expected to be retained. <laughs> But some de-sexed language, such as chest feeding, will also be used in standalone community-specific resources to ensure parents who do not wish to identify as mothers are safely welcomed and included. Sorry, the voice just naturally came out there because that was so goddamn dumb. <laughs> safely welcomed. Welcomed and included. If you can't see me, I'm making a little holding myself pose. So I feel safely welcomed. <laughs> it's even grosser because it's hot in the studio today and I'm all touching up on myself. <laughs> mm. <coughs> Excuse me. This is a consequence of female relational styles getting completely out of control without a countermanding force to balance them back out. The women are chipping away at each other's pedestals, regardless of whether men or women created them. Women are chipping away at them, but they are blaming men for that, and they are blaming men especially for the explosion of the trans bullshit. They will point to, and they're right to do this, they will point to these deranged men these Buffalo Bill type men, the kind of man that you see getting on a bus and you say, don't look at him, don't engage with him. He's wearing a prostitute outfit. He's 60 years old and he's got his balls in some little cage and he's wearing a, you know, a little, little uniform, little maid's uniform with guard. We all know who these perverts are and we all know they're fucking perverts, don't we? Yes. Well, they're right to point to this kind of man or the man who puts on a suburban matron frock and a wig that looks just like his ex-wife and now calls himself a lady and wants to lead the brownie troop. They are right that these men are smirking dupers who are getting off on this. But what they won't accept is that the call is coming from inside the house. It's coming from other women and you know that it is. Many of your sisters, as you call them, know this too. 
I talk to women every day who are as frustrated with this as anyone would be. And they tell me that they agree with the take that female traits that are necessary and useful have gotten out of control and they are being applied and enforced in contexts where they are not helpful or useful or when the absence of any pushback and balance makes them unhelpful. Women see this too. They are silenced the same way that men are who see this. And the fact that I've spent so much time in this episode highlighting how this is a, a female relational problem, that itself is, is taken as a sign of misogyny by many people. That's where we've gotten to. It's ludicrous. And I feel this emotional urge to defend myself right now to explain that I don't hate women. Because in my head, I'm still, I'm still defending myself in my head. I'm still having arguments in my head with, yeah, I know, I know, my mother. We all know that, stipulated, right? But with so many women that I used to be close to who fall into this category, and <clears throat> I'm just going to stop, I'm going to have to stop having that argument because I'm never going to win it. Um, and we're, you know, we're never going to see eye to eye. And I'm never going to, I'm never going to win the respect that I want from these people. I need to let go of that goal. I want to end up, I want to wind up with two more things. First, a little bit serious. I'm going to do some self-accountability here. And I'm sorry for how that sounds. I know it's twee. I don't mean it to be. And I don't want to be congratulated for this. This is an illustration. When I do this, I do it. I do it because I don't see it talked about a lot. And I do it because I know that other people experience these dynamics too. This is, um, this is a little bit about what people call triggers, and I hate that word too because it's been emptied of meaning. Let's call it emotional activation. Anybody who knows me on social media knows that there are, there are some topics that I am very reactive about. I get agitated or angry very quickly. In my view on some of them it's a perfectly reasonable response I know some other people disagree but there are also times when I get really irritated really quickly and sometimes angry and it is not reasonable I'm going to explain to you how that happens on one of these and I hope that if it resonates for you maybe it can help you think about your relationship to these issues as well so here's an explanation of one of my character flaws that I know people who know me on social media notice. And it's just an explanation. It isn't anything deeper than that. And the format of social media itself makes this kind of emotional response more likely. I'm not saying that it does it to everybody, but it does it to a lot of people. The constant onslaught of so many people's opinions at the same time, uh, the fact that so many things that you say on a medium like Twitter or Instagram are isolated from a larger context and yet people are still supposed to engage, this tends to fray tempers. So, uh, where do I start with this? I react very quickly and aggressively to instances where 
I believe somebody is trying to set a trap for me. They're trying to set a gotcha. They're giving me a backhanded compliment where they're they're really actually trying to insult me or humiliate me or lower me in some way. Uh, but they want plausible deniability and they want to pretend that they were just joking. It takes me to anger 11 very, very quickly. Um, and I make mistakes when I get angry, like most people do. And sometimes I mistakenly believe that people who are not trying to be aggressive against me are trying to be aggressive against me. And it surprises some of my followers, I, I know. Um, and they, they say things or they think things like, wait, he knows that I like him. He knows that, that we talk in a friendly way with each other. Why would he think that I was trying to humiliate him? Why would he jump to that? I wasn't trying to do that. There are a couple of reasons. Um, one of them is that there are, in fact, times when people that you believe like you or have a friendly disposition toward you don't actually like you, and they don't actually have a friendly disposition. They've, hid it. They've hidden it well, but they are actually trying to provoke you. They do want to make you angry. They do want to twist the knife. So sometimes it's real. I am very used to people throughout my life, people who like me or love me or are my friends, turning on a dime and mistreating me when I didn't predict it. That's happened a lot. <clears throat> and, and then sometimes laughing about my distress when that happens. And I do know, yes, most people the vast majority of people are not like this. Most humans aren't like that. I know that intellectually. Emotionally, it's harder because it was my experience growing up in my home. And it was my experience with a lot of adult friendships. Um, and I'm not trying to say, you know, oh, everybody I was ever friends with was terrible to me. I'm not saying that. I did have a lot of friends who turned out to be this way, but that had everything to do with the fact that even though it wasn't conscious, I was picking people who replicated the warped relationships that were demonstrated to me by my parental figures. So, um, so that, that's another explanation. I'm very used to that happening. And even though I've moved away from those circles, it's taking me a longer time for my emotions to catch up with, uh, with where my intellect is. So yes, and what I'm describing to you is insecurity. This is, this is a, an insecurity of mine. I would not be this reactive if there weren't a part of me that were afraid it was true, that, that people who love me are actually plotting against me, um, that, that nobody really likes me. Yeah, I know where it comes from, and it is my own insecurity. It's not real. It's mine to deal with. So that's, that's the explanation for how that happens. And... <clears throat> This is what this is one of the things that child abuse does and and followed by continuing self mistreatment that happens in adulthood when you replicate those patterns, as I did, as so many people do. Um, so not meant as a moan or a whine um, or a prelude to excusing, you know, my overreactions. But. Child abuse and genuine trauma, the kind of trauma that I went through as a child, leaves permanent, long-lasting damage. This is one of the consequences. 
the kids are not just going to be okay. There's permanent damage or there's long-lasting damage. There are a lot of things that you can get over. There are a lot of things you can learn to do better. But there are some things that get broken for some of us that won't ever be fixed. That is reality. That's why I care about this so much. Because I know how long it lasts. And I don't want to see it happen to anyone. I don't want to see it happen to anyone, but it will. But I'd, I'd like to see less of it happening. So, let's end on a funny. Remember last week when we talked about, we listened to the gender surgeon who was going to speak some truth about people who have gender surgery. <laughs> and I asked you, who did the voice better, me or him? And I asked you to tell me about it in the YouTube comments. Um, more of you in the comments said that he did the voice better. More of you said that it was him. And I actually, I agree with you. Because it's native to him. He, he lives this. I do a pretty good caricature, but he does it better than I do. What about this week's, though? Let's take... Uh, what was the name I came up with for this one? Um, this is... I have no idea who this young man is, but his name is Trixie Bell. Let's listen to Trixie Bell. I think my most toxic trait is that I want to befriend Republicans so that they can have a trans friend. And then when they get pregnant or have a baby, I want them to invite me to the gender reveal party and convince them that being tr the way I became trans is like a witch came up to me, a transgender witch came up to me and like forced me to be transgender. And then I'm going to like put my hand on the stomach at before they pop the fucking balloon at the gender reveal party. And I'm going to go. Ah! You know, <laughs> there's a little part of young me that's sympathetic to Trixie Bell here <laughs> because there is something that's kind of funny about that. <laughs> but um, it's really, who does the voice better? Uh, John Darvall party. Leave your votes once again, please, in the YouTube comments. But there's one other question I have for you. Take a look at Trixie Bell's little face here. Now I ask you, who does possessed face better? Trixie Bell or Exorcist Guy? <laughs> That's the show. We'll see you next week. <laughs>